0: Welcome back to our, our series um, in the books of First and, and 2 Samuel. Two weeks ago, we asked the question uh, from our text, does, does God really hear us? And then we talked about the importance of desperate prayers and how God responds to those prayers. And then last week, um, Jim asked the question from our passage, does God does God really? Not only does He hear us, but does He speak to us? And unfortunately, I I didn't get. It, I wasn't here. I made the mistake. I'm going to encourage you never to do this. Other than it was with my bride, and it was awesome spending time with, with Ruth. But we went to Silver Dollar City uh, last Sunday, in between the two spring breaks. Um, it was so crowded. I lost my mind, and I almost lost my salvation. It was that crowded. It was crazy. <laughs> don't ever. Don't ever. And you know, it's a sign that the apocalypse is upon us um, because, the, no lie, the funnel cake line was 50 minutes long, but the roller coaster line was five minutes long. So, um, yeah, we're in troubled times. So, um, he asked the question, does God still speak? And then he gave, a, I, I got a chance to, to listen and read through um, his message. It was awesome. If you didn't hear it, go to the webpage and listen to it. It's worth it super encouraging. Then he gave various examples of how God still speaks. This week, as we look at our passage, we're going to ask this question. and I just want you to think about it. and We'll circle back at the end, but if God is really in control, then then why doesn't he dot, 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 fill in the blank? Why doesn't he let blank, or why does he let blank happen? Because in our text this morning, God is, uh, he's going to allow something to happen that just doesn't seem to make sense. Like he can control this, and this seems like a big deal to control. But before we go any further, we we need to ask ourselves, we haven't done this yet. We're three messages in. We haven't done this yet, so we're going to do it this morning. It's really important because context is king, right? When we study God's word, context is king. We need to ask ourselves, how did we get to this place? I, I mean, literally. How did we get to the book of 1 Samuel, historically, spiritually? How did we get here? Last week, Jim mentioned Eli, uh, the priest, and his two sons, also priests, Hophni and, and Phinehas, and, and he mentioned that, um, just briefly, that they are going to be judged. In Eli's case, it was for his, his parental and spiritual passivity, and in the case of his sons, it was for abusing their priestly powers. And these guys, um, I wish they were, but they weren't. They weren't just outliers. But in many ways, they, they represented the spiritual climate of Israel. So, how did we get here? Well, we need to go back to the book of Judges, just a few pages back. If you haven't turned in your Bibles or Bible apps, please do so. And you can start in the book of Judges. We need to go back there to figure it out, um, to give us a little context. When the book of Judges opens, the 12 tribes of Israel are on the edge of national success. I mean, it's exciting. Under Moses and his successor Joshua, they have been liberated from slavery. And now, finally, they begin to occupy their promised land. But before we get into Judges, let's go back even a little bit further. Just one book back. And we got to go to Joshua and And Joshua, we got to get some review there because he sets the stage. In Joshua chapter 24, he retells the history of the Israelites to that point. Or at the end of the book of Joshua, the children of Israel are gathered around Joshua. They're in the promised land. And so he retells the story from Abraham to that very moment. Then he says these very famous words. Some of you, you have these words embroidered on a blanket or on a plaque, Right? they're really good words at least some of them now fear the lord verse 14 and serve him with all faithfulness super dramatic everyone is there and their leader their general their warriors giving them these words throw away the gods your ancestors worship before the euphrates river and in egypt and serve the lord but if serving the lord seems undesirable to you then choose isn't it interesting like we got to choose It's not your mom, it's not your dad, it's not grandma, it's not that godly aunt who's been, you know, she's not going to choose for you. It's not your youth pastor, it's not Kevin Rusak, he's not going to choose for you. You choose. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, yeah, I know about that. But as far as me and my household were throwing down the gauntlet, we will serve the Lord. So, how do the children of Israel respond? Verse 16, oh, man, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. In other words, we too will serve the Lord because he is our God. And it feels like group pressure, doesn't it? Why? Because time and time again they failed. And so Joshua's not buying it. Verse 19, he says to the people, oh, I love this. You're not able to serve the Lord. You can't even do it. Now, this is really important. I want you to remember this. I'll I'll bring it back. He's cutting a covenant here at a place called Shechem at the end of Joshua. And he's basically saying right now, this is a prophetic word. It reminds us of Moses when he split the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and put one of them on Mount Gerizim one side and the other side on Mount Ebal. And they went back and forth in antiphonal praise about the blessings and curses of obeying God's commandments or not. And so he basically says, this is going to be a prophetic word, if you do this, you'll be blessed, if you don't, you'll be cursed. And this is what he says. He says this, you're not able to serve the Lord, he's a holy God, he's a jealous God, he'll not forgive your rebellion and your sins. Here we go, verse 20, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said, no, no, we mean it this time. Pinky promise, we're going to do it. We mean it. He said, well, you're witnesses against yourselves that you've chosen to serve the Lord. We're witnesses. Now then, said Joshua, this is funny to me. Um, take those foreign gods out of your back pockets and, and throw them away. Oh, you mean these? Yeah, get rid of them. And yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. And guess what? They did. They did. They do what Joshua challenges them to do. They put away or they throw away um, their idols and they, and they serve God. But we have to ask the question, uh, does it stick Turn over to Judges chapter 2, but before we look at the text, I just want to point out that this is what we've been waiting for. This is our moment, right? So far, the whole Old Testament has been pointing towards this. Remember, all the way back to Genesis, when God made a covenant with Abraham, and He said He was going to create a community, and He promised two things He said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a people. They're going to be as numerous as the stars in the heavens. There will be so many. I'm going to give you a people. And then Abraham, I'm going to give you a place. I'm going to give you a community of people. I'm going to give you a physical place. It will be flowing with milk and honey. It's going to happen. And then there was this very long waiting period. Decades of the patriarchs, this nomadic people, Wandering around centuries of slavery in Egypt for, to be exact, 432 years. 40 years in the wilderness because of their disobedience. And then another decade or so of of conquest under Joshua, battle after battle. And all has led to this, to this moment, to such a time in history. A generation of people now have the opportunity to live freely under the direct rule of God. I will be your God and you will be my people. We'll call it a theocracy. A government where... Where I am the head. And in the, this case, you, my children of Israel, you'll be my, my subjects. This is to be a community of so much love and light and righteousness that all the peoples of the earth will be blessed by it. But literally. Other nations, other countries, other people groups who've got this God-sized hole in their heart as they're running after stuff and they're running after idols made of wood and metal and, 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 they'll, and stone, and they'll go, oh, wow. These people, <laughs> these children of Israel, see how they love one another, see how they worship their God. We want some of that. That's the opportunity that God's people have. How do you think they'll do? Judges chapter 2, verse 6 After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land. He'd given that that incredible speech and cut the covenant at Shechem and each to their own inheritance. And the people, this is really cool. They served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of a hundred and ten. And we just wish it all ended there, right? But there's always a verse 10. It feels that way. Verse 10 is mind-boggling. And it, it, it's it's a harbinger, it's a warning to us, right? I every time I read verse 10, I, I can't wrap my mind around it. And I've read it a lot of times. After that, after that Rambo-like speech, that Spartacus like speech after all the people got it and for a generation, for decades they served the Lord after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, nice way for saying they died, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel huh? And then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they served the Baals. They, like, they said, God, nah, false gods, culture, you bad. You bad. And I want to pause here for a moment, because in a sense, the whole reason for the the problems in, in, the, in the book of 1 Samuel is, is found right here. Verse 10 again, after that whole generation had been gathered to their, their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. So, so what happened? As best as I, I can tell, two things. First, um, boy, this is so important. They didn't tell their, their stories to their children or their grandchildren. It says a generation grew up without hearing what God had done for their moms and dads and aunts and uncles and single relatives and grandparents. I don't know why, but they just, they just stopped telling their God stories. Let me encourage you. You're a miracle. I mean, you are a miracle of the living God. And when the Holy Spirit intersected with your flesh and radically turned your heart of stone into a heart of flesh where the Holy Spirit now resides, right then and there you became a living, breathing miracle of a holy, righteous God. And they need to hear that story. I don't care if you grew up in a godly home and you don't have some radical, you know, I was doing drugs. That's okay. I I didn't want that for my boys. But you watched mom and dad and you lived, they lived out their faith and you came to know Jesus at five, six, seven, ten. 10. Praise God, that's your story. And then you watched miracle after miracle, tell your story. They, they need to hear what God has done. Over and over and over. And Don't ever, it's the, if it's the sanctified brag, that's okay. Because you're bragging about God. This is not a time to be timid. This is not a time to be like, well, I don't like to talk about what God, has. Oh, we all talk, we should be talking about what God has done. We declare his praises, his people declare his praises constantly, literally around your dinner table, year after year, decade after decade, they need to be telling, remember the time dad said that, man, he was living in sin and he was doing drugs, but then he went to this, he went to, and heard the gospel and got radically saved and his life, man, that was Amazing. Remember when we all, we got around grandma and she was sick and we, and, and I, I was young, but mom and dad laid their hands on grandma and they prayed for her and, and next thing we know the cancer, the cancer was gone. Tell that story over and over and over again. It's a reminder that our God is alive and he's working and he's active. First, they didn't, they stopped telling God stories. Second reason, this is really important, is found back in verse 19 of Judges chapter 1. Um, the Lord was with the men of Judah, and they took possession of the hill country, but they, they were unable to drive the people from the plains because they had um, chariots fitted with iron. Did you get that? I want you to underline if you're, it's your Bible. Um, I guess you can do it on your app as well, but the, I want you to underline this sentence the lord was was with the men of judah they took possession of the hill country i mean it sounds good so far but but a sad word comes halfway through the verse but oh man i'm i'm going to serve the lord i'm going to do it like he, he radically saved me and and I've got incredible stories of his goodness in my life and it's been a little busy lately. I got married and I, I'm working, but I'm going to serve the I'm going to serve the Lord. But I'm really busy. That's crazy. Works crazy. I I, I think I'm gifted. Like I know he's giving, but like I'm making a ton of money and I'm true. I'm busy. Wow, like these kids, they're like eternal vessels, right? And I'm to raise them up in the admonition of you and I we need to like we need to tell our God stories and we need to read scripture and we need to do ministry together. We need to invite people into our house to experience a culture of godly. But I'm really tired and I'm really busy. But they were unable to drive the people from the plains because they had chariots fitted with iron. Wait, whoa, wait, whoa, wait! Whoa. The Lord was with the men of Judah. Enough said. No, no, man! But they had iron. Apparently they trusted God until it got really tough. And what follows is a a long list of Israel's failure to take the land that God had already promised. It's like winning the lotto. Go claim your million dollars. Uh, It's it's hard getting down to the gas station. It's hard to go to the bank. I don't know. Where do you claim your million dollars? I don't know. Some of you who may know. I don't know. But wherever, you're going to figure out a way, Right? (laughs) And then we see in, in Judges chapter 1, failure after failure after failure. I won't read them all, but the Benjamites, these are all the tribes, Manasseh, Ephraim, Zebulon, Asher, Naphtali, they all, they all tried to drive out the people, but they couldn't do it. It was just too tough. They gave up. That partial obedience just doesn't cut it with God. That do as I say, not as I do, never works with our children. The children of these tribes saw that their fathers didn't fully obey God, and it, it sent a message that... They didn't have to either. Not only that, but and you might want to write this down. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. It allowed a godless culture to be in and around their children to influence them and turn their hearts. Like, you know you got to fight for your children, right? You know that. Because the world, the flesh, and the devil never take a break, a nap. Retirement, they, they are fighting to seduce and subject your children. Like, you know that. Oh, mellow out, Lee. Take it easy. Hey, here's a cell phone. Do whatever you want with it. Oh, really? <laughs> Thank you. Wow. Hey, here's a computer. Here's the television. Here's 200 channels. Just hey, have fun. Oh, Epstein, lighten up. So, what's the result? of letting these pagan influences hang around. Verse 12. They forsook the Lord. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger. Uh Uh-oh. Remember what Joshua said? 285 years earlier. Remember? In his anger, because they forsook him and served Baal and the Asterisks, in his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. And whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them. It wasn't just the Philistines or whoever, it was Philistines and God fighting against God's people. That's weird. Just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. And so then God, in his mercy, raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of the raiders, these raiders. Um, Yet uh, they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands, that last generation especially. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived, for the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them, and they refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. What do we see in these verses? Um, We see what's called the sin cycle. There's... A vicious cycle that's being described here in the book of Judges, and, and I want to give you an analogy for it. Um, maybe you'll understand this. I think you will. I certainly do. Every January, people make resolutions, and one of those resolutions is they're going to get in better shape. Anyone in here ever make that that resolution? Anyone who's honest? Okay, thank you. No, I've never made a resolution in my life. I'm happy just the way I am. Okay. Um, I bet if you're like me and millions of others, you, you make that resolution, and then you get a membership at a gym, and you see people who haven't been in a gym for a long time, and you see people uh, wearing spandex who shouldn't be wearing spandex, um, and in another month, they'll be gone, and it'll all be back to normal. Here's the cycle. People get out of shape. They feel guilty. They get a, a, um, a membership at a gym. They work out for a while. Guess what? It's hard, <laughs> right? Right? You're like, man, that elliptical looks so fun. Are you kidding me? (laughs) They get bored. They stop working out. They get out of shape. They feel guilty, and the whole cycle starts again. Now, there's a cycle at work in the book of Judges. You can see it behind me. God gives victory to the people under Joshua, and they have an era of peace, but the people grow complacent, and they give in to sin and so God hands them over to their enemies, and they have a period of troubles. And because they're in trouble, the text says they cry out to God, God, help us. And God sends a deliverer, a judge, and for a while they have a period of peace again. But then they're back into sin, and it's the same cycle over and over and over again for 300 years. And this now leads us, we're all caught up, to 1 Samuel chapter 2, okay? And verse 12, Eli's sons... Hophni and Phineas were scoundrels, and they had no regard for the Lord. Once again, let me just remind you. You say, well, there's a lot of scoundrels out there that have no regard for the Lord. These were the priests. These were the pastors. This was your Jim Hall, your Lee Epstein, your Kevin Rusek, your Bruce Tippett. These were the men of God that were supposed to know the Word of God. But basically, they said, "Yeah." Doesn't it seem strange that there would be people that claim to be pastors, men and women, who don't believe in the Word of God? What's, like, what's the point? Right? This is where they have come. This is the context. And here we go again. But this time, it's going to be different at the end of our text. This morning, I'm going to summarize 1 Samuel chapters 4 through 6. And we'll be thinking again, what's wrong with this nation? What's wrong with this people? But in chapter 7, we'll finish with some action steps that will help them and us break the sin cycle. So if you're sitting here this morning, and it goes way beyond a membership at a gym, but you go, oh my word, that's me. That's my family. That's generations. Let me encourage you. Today is the day to break it. And I'm going to be real explicit and go real slow through it when we get there because it's super, super important. You can have freedom. You can, by the power of God's grace and his spirit residing in you, break generational sin. And that's what we're going to get at the end. Okay? Okay? 1 Samuel chapter 4, I'm going to start right there. You might want to turn over there in your Bibles, but I'll warn you, I'm going to go really, really fast. Chapter 4, after being defeated in battle and losing 4,000 men, uh, the elders, uh, here we go, without seeking the will of the Lord, called for the Ark of the Covenant to be carried in battle against the, the Philistines. But but guess who was leading the way? Uh-oh. It is the very wicked Hophni and Phinehas. I mean, literally, the Ark of the Covenants in front of the army, they're all cheering. Uh, Hophni and Phinehas, these priests, everyone's like, "Woohoo!" They're cheering so loud, and they're so excited that across the way, the Philistines can hear them. And the Philistines are like, oh, no, we've heard about this. Like, we've heard about this God. We've heard about this Ark. We've heard about what they've they done in the past, and they have to give themselves a pep talk. Man, you better fight. If you don't fight, you're going to be slaves to these guys, and they go into battle. Right? They have this Giant battle again. Now, mind you, this isn't the same as Joshua carrying the ark into battle um, after he and all the people had consecrated themselves and confessed sin and gotten right with God. No, this is, hey, let's use the ark of God as a good luck charm so we can win the battle. Kind of like that person who, you know, they live like a pagan. They don't know Jesus from a, a hole in their head, but they got a cross. woo just in case. This was a just in case. Come on, man. You notice the elders didn't ask. You notice they have wicked priests lead them into battle. They didn't talk to God. It's just in case. Now, mind you, the ark was the most important piece of furniture in the tabernacle. And it resided in the Holy of Holies. And in the ark were the two tablets of, of the law. And on it was the golden mercy seat where God, God's glorious um, presence dwelt. And up to this point, the ark had never, had never been lost or, or given over to Israel's enemies. So they're, they're going into battle a second time. And, and guess what? Surprise, surprise. They're defeated. Um, they're defeated again. But this time, they lose 30,000 foot soldiers. I don't mean like GPS lose, right? Like bad directions. I mean 30,000 souls. I mean, families devastated, generations messed with. And the ark is captured, and Eli's house is destroyed as prophesied. And we get these words from his daughter in law while she's dying in childbirth. Really dramatic. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 21. And she named the boy Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel. By the way, talk about low self esteem. Can you imagine that poor guy? I mean, <laughs> every time someone sees poor Ichabod, oh, yeah, glory's departed. Yeah, I got it. The glory has departed from Israel because of the capture of the ark of God and the deaths of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. Remember our question. What, what happens why does God let bad things happen? what's going on here? Now of course, we, we know better, right? It wasn't that God departed from Israel, but Israel had departed from God. God never departs like you know that, right? He's, he's an ever-present help in our time of need. Like, the spirit of God He never departs from us. but we'll depart from Him. Now, in chapter 5, we get this, I love this, this really cool power encounter. The Philistines are so excited. They've captured, they've captured the, the ark of God. They've captured the power of, of the Israelites. And, and back in the day, when you would capture your enemies, whatever, um, you would take it back as a prize. And it showed that your gods were stronger than their gods. And so the Philistines, they had thousands of gods, but they had a number one god by the name of Dagon. So they bring back the ark of God. God in a box, and they place him in the temple of Dagon, right at the feet of Dagon. They're like, our God is so much stronger than your wimpy God in a box. But, verse three, when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. Isn't that great? And the Philistines are thinking, wait a second, Dagon may weeble and wobble, but he doesn't fall down, does he? And he does when he has a sleepover with the one true God who actually made the heavens and the earth, right? Then they took Dagon and they put him back in his place because that's all you can do with idols. They fall over, uh, they're made of wood, they're made of metal, they're made of stuff. There's idols, right? And they set him back up, but the following morning, when they rose, there was Dagon falling on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. And this time, his, hands, his head and his hands had been broken off and were lying on the threshold, and only his body remained. And in the Hebrew, they changed his name from Dagon to Stumpy. He was Stumpy the... D- no, I'm just kidding. They didn't, they didn't do that. <laughs> Stumpy, our new God. Um, that's what I would have done. But God continues uh, p- a putting a whooping on, on the Philistines by afflicting their key cities um, with a plague. Plague after plague, sickness, death. And they keep passing on from one city to the next, and finally they kind of catch on, right? They're like, this is crazy. This, this God just beat the tart of our God, Dagon, a.k.a. Stumpy. We don't know what to do. People are dying. Every major city is in turmoil. Here's what we'll do. We'll re-gift him back to the Israelites. And on top of that, we better give him... Um, Not only the ark, but give them some gifts along with it. I don't know why they did this. It seems kind of crazy. But they gave um, five golden tumors that represented the plagues and then five golden mice that we think probably carried the plagues as a mechanism as a re gift, right? And they send it, they send it back. In chapter six, the ark is returned to Israel and it goes to the town of, the Jewish town of Beth Shemesh. And unfortunately, they treat it uh, as a mere mere curiosity. not with the holy respect that it demands, and 70 people, uh, like God's people, right, are killed when they look inside. And they, too, realize that the ark of God is too hot to handle, so they send it away to um, the city of cariath Jerem to be hidden away for the next 20 years until David, who will become king, then uh, rescues it and brings it back to Jerusalem. And this leads us to chapter 7, where Samuel... We don't know where he's been for 20 years. We're not sure, Uh, but he reappears, and he says this. He says, guys, you did not need the ark to win the battle, but what you really needed, what we all really need is God. And so Samuel shows up as the new and last judge and priest, and he realizes that the nation could never succeed if the people didn't put the Lord first and trust only in him, and so he gives them. Now, here we go. And he gives us four action steps to break the cycle of sin. And the first thing he says is this. He says, put away your gods. Put away your false gods. I, I see those idols. Take them out of your back pocket. They're hidden in your, in your huts, You've got them under some hay. Get rid of them. Verse 3, so Samuel said to all the Israelites, by the way, this is almost 300 years later. It sounds just like Joshua. If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the asterisks and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. By the way, is this like really difficult? It's so funny to me. We're like, oh, man, it's so hard to follow God, and i got to jump through all these hoops. And, oh. It's not what he says. Say yes to me, no to the gods, obey my commands, and I'll bless you. <laughs> oh, that's, oh, that's crazy. You're, so, you're a tyrant. Oh, really? Say yes to me, no to the gods, obey my commandments. I'll bless your marriage. I'll bless your kids. I'll bless your job. I'll bless you. I'm not talking prosperity theology. In the the middle of blessing, there's pain and sorrow. We live in a sin-cursed world, but obey. If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods, the asterisks, and commit yourselves to the Lord. Verse 4, so the Israelites put away their bales and asterisks and and serve the Lord only. Notice that Samuel specifically mentioned the Baals and and the Ashtoreths. Why? This is really important. Because Baal was the Canaanite storm god to whom they often turned when the land was suffering drought. And Ashtoreth was the goddess of fertility who brought children. So like push came to shove, they're like, like, God is a God we can't see. How do I put my identity and my faith and my trust in a God I can't see? But hold on. Whoop. Oh, Baal, I I can see you. Hey, stop the drought, Baal. All right. Hey, we need food. Hey, Ashtoreth, we need kids to work on the crops. It's an agrarian. Hey, Ashtoreth, get my wife pregnant many times over. Right? They wanted gods they could identify with, that they could touch and hold and see. And were thinking, oh, you silly, antiquated, superstitious people. I mean, really, come on. But what about us? The Jews gave themselves to idols of wood, stone, and metal, but are we any different? I think today we have more subtle and attractive gods. Houses, lands, wealth, automobiles, boats, position, recognition, ambition, security, safety, and even other people. Maybe, maybe it's your, your children or your grandchildren, right? And we're reminded of the words of Jesus. Unless you hate mother and brother and father and sister and children and take up your cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple." Hey man, blood is thicker than Jesus? Family's the most important thing than Jesus? Anything in our lives that takes the place of God and commands the sacrifice. And devotion that belongs only to him is an idol and it must be put out it must be destroyed it has to be remember the idols in in the heart are far more dangerous than idols in the temple first action step they, they put their idols away second action step they confess their sins Samuel, Plan to, to lead the people in a time of worship and nas- national repentance and intercession for deliverance from their enemies. But remember what the psalmist said If I had cherished sin in, in my heart, then the Lord would not have listened. Like, there is no forgiveness without confession, there is no forgiveness without repentance. <laughs> you know? Verse 5, then Samuel said, assemble all of Israel at Mizpah. Once again, very dramatic, and I will intercede with the Lord uh, for you. And when they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. And on that day they fasted, and there they confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. It wasn't enough just to destroy their idols. The people also had to confess their sins and surrender themselves to the Lord. Notice in verse 6 there was a water offering in a a time of fasting, but the key activity of the day was was their confession. And it wasn't generic. We have sinned against the Lord. God's covenant promise to, to Israel was that he would forgive their sins if they sincerely confessed to him. For no amount of sacrifice or rituals could wash away their sins. Psalm 51, verse 17. My sacrifice, O God, is a, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, O God, will not despise. Um, this season, we started for really kind of the first time for us, and we want to make it a regular thing to be a little more liturgical, and we did it at Christmas time with Advent, and we're trying to do it. It's hard in a gym to be liturgical, it just is. But we're we're trying to be a little more liturgical. So we said, hey, let's do Lent together. Let's awaken our souls and our spirit and look forward to a new spring, i.e., the resurrection of Jesus. And in doing so, people have said, This is kind of the tradition. I'm gonna give something up. And and I like that, but what makes me nervous about that is when we go, hey, man, I'm doing this for you, God. You better reward me. And then we go around, we're telling everybody, uh, no salt for me. I'm giving up salt for, oh, oh come on. Well, no Netflix, no binge watching, saying no to my TV shows for Jesus. Better reward me. Lent is a time where we, and I prefer we don't tell anybody, but Jesus, it's a time where we say, God, you are so amazing and so special and so sovereign. You're the Lord of my life, so much so that I'm giving up this to spend more time with you. And maybe in the process, when we give up this, the Holy Spirit reveals to us, hey, that thing that you were latched onto is an asterisk, it's a bale, you need to destroy it. Not everything, but maybe that thing. That's why Lent is really important. Not so you're like, better bless me. Better get the Ark of the Covenant out in front of the battle. I'm living like a pagan, but as long as I got this thing in front of me like a talisman, I'll succeed. Third action step. He prayed for God's help. He says, you want to stop the sin cycle? You want to stop generational sin? Put away your false gods. Confess your sin and pray. Verse 7, when the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came to attack them. And when the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. And they said to Samuel, I love this. Hey, this is good. This is a new people. Do not stop crying out to the Lord, to Jehovah, our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Please hear this. Their greatest weapon, our greatest weapon, is our faith in Jehovah God, a faith that is expressed in prayer. Here's one of my all-time favorite verses in the Psalms. If you're around me at all, you'll hear me quote it. I might pray it. I might just say it. Psalm 20 and and verse 7. Some may trust in chariots. It's tangible. It's right there. Or in horses. Yeah, you bet. But we're different. We're God's people. We walk by faith and not by sight. We don't let culture seduce us. We're seduced by God. That sounds weird, but you get the point, right? We will trust in the name of the Lord our God. We'll think differently. We'll spend differently. We'll serve differently. So, does God hear Samuel's prayer? Verse 10. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, after he had prayed, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day, the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. By the way, who was the Canaanite storm god? Baal. Who controls the thunder? Jehovah. Wow. Wow men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below beth Lastly, super important, he commemorated the victory. Then Samuel, verse 12, took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and he named it Ebenezer, saying, thus far the Lord has, has helped us. I think Samuel did this because he was a pastor, and he, he knows the hearts of men and women, He knows what we're like. We are a forgetful bunch. We forget the Lord's mercies. And please don't tell me that you don't. I know you do because I do. I do because every time I grumble and every time I complain, which sadly is way too often, I forget the Lord's mercies. So he set up the stone, which in Hebrew literally means the stone of help. And so um, every time they saw it, they would be reminded god's provision god's remembrance here's a stone of remembrance we didn't have one this service but so we had at last service baptism every time we see a baptism it reminds us that jesus loves us it reminds us that our sins have been buried it, it reminds us of the price that jesus paid here's another stone of remembrance we're going to take it here in just a minute communion Every time uh, we take communion, we think of Jesus' words, do this in remembrance of me. Every time we take communion, we remember what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Here's another stone of remembrance. You ready? Scripture. Here's one of my all-time favorites, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. I love this passage. I have to go back to it often. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, Lee, he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus Whenever I wonder if God's coming through for today, I remember this verse that reminds me that God started uh, working with me many, many years ago, and he's not going to quit now. So like every day, morning and evening, I open God's word selfishly as a stone of remembrance. Oh, wow, I need to see this. I need to hear this. I need to read this. I need to pray this. Okay, Uh, we're done. But what about our question? As the worship team comes back up, let me just ask again. If God is really in control, then why did he let the Ark of the Covenant fall into the hands of his enemies? Or how about this? Why did he let my mom die of cancer at 48? That wasn't my mom, but you know what I'm saying. My mom's still alive. Or why did he allow my brother to get addicted to drugs? Or why did my spouse leave me? Lee, why does God let bad things happen to good people? If he's really in control. I don't know exactly why God lets bad things happen. Hey, if we're to be honest, just like in our passage this morning, it's on us, Right? It's on us. But more often than not, it's kind of a combination. Yeah, it it might be things that we did or didn't do, but often it's just part of God's plan that he uses for his ultimate glory. Ultimately, the Israelites realized that it wasn't a box they were to turn to in times of trouble, but it was to a God who cared for them and loved them and desired to be trusted and worshipped as first in their lives. Okay. At this time, we're going to transition to communion. I'd like our communion hosts to come forward. Usually at at New Heights, when we do communion, we have tables set up. People have been asking us this morning, where are the tables? I appreciate that. Um, And we have kind of a drive-by communion. Go take communion on your own, or Lord willing, take it in community as the Spirit of God leads you. But this morning, we're going to be a little more traditional, and we're going to pass it out and, and stay in our Seats. So you're gonna get um, two cups. It's really important. It'll look like one, but you gotta pull the cups apart. In one of the cups there'll be bread, and the other cup will be the juice. Don't take it yet. I'm gonna lead you through it in just in just a few minutes. And, and while you're sitting there, and I told you I'd do this, some of you in this in this room, probably a lot of you can relate to the children of Israel and maybe you are you're in your own sin cycle or you know someone who is or a family member whoever let me encourage you there is freedom in the cross of Jesus and you can break that cycle today throw out your idols those things that you cherish more than Jesus confess your sins he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to purify you from all unrighteousness. Pray with desperation that God will break the sin cycle in your life and and the generations that follow. And lastly, set up a stone of remembrance. I don't know what it is. A plaque, buy a Bible, take a picture. I don't know. But set it up and say, God was here. God did this. And I'm not going to forget it. I'm going to keep telling this story year after year after year.